Hi, this is Kim Davis, and welcome to another of our Spotlight on Serious Decisions series. Uh, when we were putting the series together, Serious Decisions suggested some, some topics they were interested in talking about, and they also said to me, what do you want to talk about? So I thought, well, why not do the predictable thing and say AI, because artificial intelligence is always worth talking about. And to help me discuss it today, I have Kerry Cunningham of Serious Decisions. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, now... I did a little bit of research before this, and you have a blog post with a title which I loved, which is, Anything You Can Do, AI Can Do Better. And I'm right. tempted to sing it, but I'll <laughs> resist the temptation. And that's all about putting AI into the revenue engine. So maybe we could start off by explaining what the revenue engine is and uh, the progress people are making towards doing that, that very thing. Mm -hmm. Sure. So the revenue engine, uh, the way we think of it is, uh, is the three functions that we mostly work with here at uh, Sirius. Product, including product marketing, product management, sales, and marketing. Right. And are you finding that uh, your clients are moving towards putting AI into the revenue engine? We did a poll during our session yesterday and found that about half of the audience, or a little less than half, has either has is, has experimented with AI at least, uh, and is using it in some capacity, and about half is not. Okay. Now, AI, of course, means many things, many, many different people. What uh, sort of positive examples have you seen where people are using it? What are, what are the common use cases? Um, some of the most common use cases are the the ones that you've heard about most. So. If uh, an organization has uh, an outbound prospecting function, then typically uh, that's the most common, easiest way to think about using AI is to identify, source, and prioritize prospects for outbound prospecting. Uh, the initial most popular use case was using AI to score inbound leads. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some disconnects in doing that. Inbound leads, as the way that, the, the way that they've existed in, in B2B for the last uh, 10 years or so, are typically uh, a person who's consuming some content on your website, uh, and they've either been scored up or they've asked for a call. Now, if they've asked for a call, great. If they've just been scored up uh, by consuming a bunch of content, then um, a predictive vendor, uh, those things would be run through a predictive vendor's engine, and they're scored by the predictive vendor. The predictive vendor is looking almost entirely at characteristics of that lead yep. associated with the account that they come from. I see. Okay. So a, a predictive vendor would say, oh, here's a lead. Let's score it. This is a great account. And whether they've consumed 20 white papers or one, we should go call that. And so that's different from getting a lead. Now this person has consumed 20 white papers, so let's call it. Mm -hmm. Call that person. The one who's consumed 20 white papers is clearly a more friendly audience for a phone call. Right. Uh, and they're somebody who's demonstrated an awful lot of interest and may very well have a lot of time on their hands if they're downloading 20 <laughs> white papers. So they may be more likely to take an SDR or LDR's phone call. Um, but the, that scoring doesn't look very much at the account that they come from and whether they're a good account to call at all anyway. Right. So what the predictive guys were doing is saying, well, we don't care how much they downloaded or how friendly they are, but they're from a good account. That mismatch in the kind of lead that gets presented to the SDR from predictive or not 
led to a lot of disappointment on the part of organizations that were doing predictive uh, scoring okay. of their leads. Yeah. It, they didn't enable the reps properly, the reps' expectations uh, were set improperly, and so that use case actually hasn't worked very well. And it's not because the modeling is not right, it's because the enabling of the rep and the expectations of the rep receiving that lead that is a different kind of lead were off kilter. Um, so we've seen that use case actually drop away a fair bit. Um, I still think it's a, a good use case, but any, in any case, that's not the most popular one. And then just sourcing and segmenting and then identifying prospects that we want to market to. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say, you know, the, the use case of digitally marketing to predictively sourced and prioritized prospects has grown uh, substantially as a percentage of what is being done. In other words, let's get them warmed up and get them to respond uh, in a, you know, as a warm lead, and then we'll uh, follow up with Okay. Now, now, something I've heard people talk about a lot is the use of AI to deliver relevant content to people who arrive at, at your mm -hmm. website to, to know what their, their journey has been and be able yeah. to show them what they're looking for. Are you seeing much of that? Um, we're not seeing an awful lot of it yet, but we uh, showcased an example of it yesterday in our presentation. Um, and a really cool thing that, uh, that this does, first of all, is you've got to know what your website is about. Before you can do any of that, we're going to show them stuff related to what they want. You actually have to know what all of your stuff is about so that you know what to show somebody. And then you have to know what that person is about and to know what, or know what that person is interested in. To know what that person is interested in, you have to know what your stuff is about. Right. So, the, so the first thing that you have to know is what is your stuff about? Mm -hmm. And the best way to do that these days is use the natural language processing application of artificial intelligence. Okay. The machine reads your website and then uh, tells you what all of your stuff is about. Is, is this for people with like a lot of assets? Um, it's certainly uh, going to be a, a uh, easier uh, thing to justify from a cost perspective if you have a lot of assets. Mm -hmm. um, but if you have more assets than you're likely to go through and manually tag properly, then it's a good idea. Right? <laughs> so good idea. knowing what your website is about really properly so that you can, one, when somebody interacts with something, now you know what they're interested in. And once you know what they're interested in, you can send them, you can deliver to them other things that they're interested in. Both of those require that first step of, in most cases, we think now, using AI to figure out what all of your stuff is about and to yeah. keep it that way. Okay. So um, slow and limited uptake or adoption so far on AI. We all know AI depends on having significant amounts of data to teach the machine. So, mm -hmm. so what's holding things back? Is it not having enough data? Is it having bad data? What's the problem? Well, people have perceived, and, and rightly so up until a couple of years ago, that either having not enough or having bad, which are really the same problem. If you, if you have bad data, then what you're saying is I don't have enough good data. Right, okay. Uh, so that problem did, so if I'm going to train the machine on a bunch of examples of what good looks like from a prospect perspective, then I've got to have a bunch of examples. The smaller my pool of examples, the less reliable is the finding from the AI. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there, so one, if you think, if you sell into a market where there are, you know, you have a, a, a pretty large addressable market, but you haven't yet sold an awful lot, so you don't have a lot of great examples. Um, starting with the examples that you do have, and even finding examples where you know that this is a good prospect for you, just based on the things that you can uh, see outwardly, and using that as a starting set, 
perfectly possible, and one of the predictive vendors really specializes in starting with a, a sort of positive-only mm -hmm. uh, uh, training set. The bigger it is, the better. The cleaner it is, the better. But uh, AI can be used, first of all, to clean up your data, uh, to use a kind of master data management approach to go out and find uh, how likely it is that this account is the right account, this location is the right location, and these people belong to that account and what they do. So AI and the data sets that the predictive vendors have been building over the last five or six years, plus the expertise and the kinds of uh, data there that we have in B2B, it's really the, the first step. Get that stuff cleaned up. But it, it, we built our whole presentation around the idea that intelligence is based on having a goal. Okay. If you don't have a goal, and that if you being any organism or machine, then there's no motivation for action. There will be no action if there's no goal. Right. And if there's no action and there's no goal, there's no need for intelligence of any kind. There's, there's nothing to do. Mm -hmm. So everything starts with a goal. And if you're going to spend money to clean up your data, it should be because you're going to do something with it. And if you're going to do something with it, like prospect, like source and segment your market, then use AI to source and segment your market and to fix your data in order to do it. Right? That's so rather than just we're going to have a goal to clean the data, you'll never achieve that goal. Yeah. But you will, if you start with a goal of we're going to source and segment and prioritize our addressable market, then you can do that. And it may or may not be perfect, depending upon where you start, uh, but do it based on that goal. Right. So, in other words, it's knowing what you need the data for, then you know what data you need, what needs to be cleaned up. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. Yeah, yeah. rather than trying to clean the whole yeah, world of data. And then you get done with that big... Uh, cleaning project that took a year and a half and then you've got a ton of stuff that's out of date and you may be missing key data points that you should have. One of the other key points in our presentation yesterday was if you live in a world in which your uh, audience is static and doesn't change much and if the way that they look for solutions like you sell is static and doesn't change mm -hmm. much, you could do an internal project, clean up your data, get a bunch of third-party data in and do all of that. Um, and, and you may be fine for a year or so, and then you repeat that project. Most people in B2B are in a little more dynamic market yeah. uh, where our prospects, the actual companies may change relatively quickly, but usually what changes more is how they look for solutions, keywords they use, places they go, influences, those kinds of things, and then the characteristics of the company that would put it in market at any given point in time. And those things are dynamic. And the data available to describe those things is also dynamic. There's more data being added all the time to the mix. And so that, that project that you do to, to clean up and fix your data, if it's not connected, if there's not a pipe coming in from the outside world yeah. with refreshed and new data points, then it's probably not going to be useful for very long. Uh, and that's the advantage. And we said this pretty bluntly yesterday, of working with a third-party uh, vendor who has expertise in this space, because that's what they have. Right. right? The sort of always-on connection to the best data, and they're solving the same problem for you know dozens or hundreds of organizations all the time, so they've got real expertise. You can have your own data science team in-house that really knows your business, and mm -hmm. but they should work with a third-party. Interesting. Okay, so there's... This buzz about AI, it sounds almost as if AI is needed because the data is there. Is that what's driving it? Because, you know, you go back five years, yeah. say, or, or longer, people got along fine without AI, they'll say. Yeah. Why has the world changed? Why, isn't, why is AI now no longer kind of an op 
just optional. Yeah. Um, well, the world got along fine without cars. <laughs> it got along fine without airplanes. It got along fine without computers. Yeah. Right. It gets along better now. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that I looked up as we were preparing this presentation, uh, you know, people are afraid of automation. It's going to come for our jobs. We talked about that in our presentation. Mm -hmm. uh, people had that concern at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. 300 years ago, there, at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, the doomsayer said, okay, it's going to put us all out of work. Yeah. So we're 300 years later, and there are approximately 4 billion more human beings with jobs today than there were then. Yes. Right? That, that seems to have worked out pretty well so far. So you know, I think what AI is going to continue to do is make us more efficient, more productive. When you look at the statistics, for instance, on, on world poverty, or even poverty in the United States today, we are dramatically more affluent than we were 100 years ago on average. And the worst of the worst is in much better shape than the worst of the worst was 100 years ago. Right. Almost everywhere in the world. And that's because technology makes things more effective. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't lots and lots of problems, including <laughs> in B2B. Yeah. But the smarter we get, and this was another key message from our presentation yesterday, when, we, when you inject advanced intelligence into any part of that revenue engine, you're very likely to make the whole thing smarter. If you have great yeah. data, if you have great buyer data, and you really know your buyers, and you're up to date, and that's clean all the time, product, marketing, and sales will all be more effective. And when they're all operating against that same great data set, they're all going to be more effective than they would otherwise have been. Now, the other thing that we said is, we think you should start uh, collecting uh, performance data from everywhere in your organization. Uh, we gave a couple of examples of how to do that. So it's possible using AI now to know who all of your salespeople are talking to and to get that stuff into the systems of record. Today, probably 60 to 70 percent of the people that sales is talking to are not in SFA. Right. So today, you can use AI to get that to happen and to have it be updated all the time and the sales reps don't need to do a thing. AI can go in and get all those names out, attach them to the right records. So why anybody wouldn't do that, I just don't know, right? That's a problem that we've had for a long time. You solve that problem, you can, you can now pursue 10 other goals in improving your sales rep productivity, improving marketing productivity, you know, getting attribution better understood. So uh, you could continue doing the same thing you're doing today and improve processes without AI, and there's still a long runway for improvement there. Yeah. But if you add AI in to do a bunch of stuff that we're not very good at, and this is what my yeah, blog post was sure. about, is there are a whole lot of things that human beings are just not very good at. Uh, and looking at big data sets and making decisions is one of them. Uh, and now I'm not do. very good at small data sets. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you said five years ago we didn't have data. That's right. Yeah, we didn't yeah. have much data. Uh, now we do. Uh, and now we're catching up with the, uh, the B2C guys and how we use it. And so it sounds like uh, it's not a question of adopting AI throughout your entire revenue engine in one fell swoop, but you can inject it here and there in, in, in smart places, and it will start to raise the whole game. That's right, and that's why we made actually two specific use cases uh, key. And the, the specific use case, the first one, is uh, develop a uh, master uh, buyer repository. Get this clean data set, combination of first-party data, third-party data, constantly updated, cleaned, and refreshed, 
get one of those for your organization, mm -hmm. right? And that's different from having a data lake in marketing and something else somewhere else. This is the entire company is going to point to this thing and say, that's the system of record for our buyers, and it's always updated, refreshed, prioritized, scored, and all of that. So that's that. And then the other one is a master performance repository. All the data about how digital marketing is working, all the data about... Uh, pricing, all the data about sales reps and who they're talking to and what works and what mm -hmm. doesn't, all of that into this one place that everybody operates against. And when you have those two sets, and those, in reality they're probably not even two separate data sets, but when you have those two things, now you have the ability to drive, you can, there's dozens of goals that you can pursue to improve the business against those two data sets. So that's where we think everybody ought to start. Okay, and just a, a final question, because human beings are so good at predicting the future. How long do you think until you're able to say, well, most of the brands I'm dealing with are, are doing this kind of thing, it's only the exceptions who haven't adopted it yet? Uh, I would say probably within four or five years. Four or five years. Yeah, I would say if you're a, a marketer in B2B five years from now, it's very unlikely that you'll have, and that either you in marketing will be selecting accounts and contacts manually to send stuff to, mm -hmm. or sales will be selecting their own accounts and contacts to call or whatever. I think it's very unlikely. I think, you know, at, at the very least, that'll be machine aided, if not machine driven. Okay, well, we'll sit down again in five years <laughs> and see if you're right. Kerry, thanks very much for the My insights. Pleasure. And everyone, thanks for listening in.